0: Hey there! This is Carrie Schaefer, also known as author Carrie Ann King, and you are listening to Tell Me Your Secrets, where I get to take you off the page with the people who make the books we all love to read. Tell Me Your Secrets is produced from live stream video and is owned and copyrighted by Authors on the Air Global Radio Broadcasting Network. Hey, everybody! How are you doing today? Um, I see I've got my screen all kind of screwed up, so I'm going to fix that. I don't know which Carrie I am today. I don't know whether to be Carrie Ann King or Carrie Schaefer with this guest, so I'm kind of here just as me as both. I cannot wait to introduce you to this book, The Family Plot, and to the author, Megan Collins. Megan is an absolutely lovely human being, and I want to make that really clear right now because we're going to talk about a really, really creepy book in just a minute. I had her on last year to talk about last year's book, The Red Door, which also featured a dysfunctional kind of creepy family. And I was very surprised at the time to discover that Megan is just one of those really, really, at least seemingly on the surface, very nice people, and I'm sure she very much is. This book is fantastic. I loved reading it. I don't quite know what to tell you all about it. So I'm still trying to get my thoughts together. It almost kind of crosses the genre into women's fiction in a way because we're looking at family dynamics, um, in a very dysfunctional family, mind you, but it's kind of this lovely psychological look at what happens to an already kind of messed up family under extreme pressure. It's also very thrillery. It's a little bit horrory, not really, but a little bit, <laughs> because we're in this delightfully creepy house. So we're going to talk about that more in a minute. I do want to just get right to the point and bring on author Megan Collins. We're going to talk about. About the family plot and hopefully get her to tell us few secrets. Hi Megan. Hi. (laughs) See look at that face if you're here with us right now (laughs) you can see (laughs) she does not look like the sort of person that's going to come up with what you're going to read in this story. It's it's always the nice and quiet ones right? Yeah Exactly. You never know. <laughs> so, hey, Megan, um, you and I talked just recently, actually, because I got to interview you on somebody else's show. But I have uh, all kinds of other stuff today, so this is just going to be so much fun. Well, thank you so much for having
1: me, I'm—I feel so lucky that I got to talk to you for that and this too. Hey, we get to hang out, so yeah. that's,
0: that's part of the fun of being an author. I feel, yeah. um, but. First of all, for anybody who doesn't know you and doesn't know the family plot, let's start right there. So can you tell us, please, a little bit about the book? Yeah, so
1: kind of the two-second elevator pitch of this book is it's about a true crime-obsessed family who gather to bury their patriarch, only to discover when they dig up his grave in the family plot that there is already... A body there and there's the remains of their long missing brother who they did not know was dead they thought he had run away um and so now they're learning that he was actually murdered and that he's been murdered for probably 10 years and um everybody in the family reacts in very strange ways to this the mother um who raised her children in such a like dark true crime-esque manner to the point where she named them all after famous murder victims. She homeschooled them and included true crime in the curriculum. She had them honor murder victims on the anniversaries of their deaths. She now kind of Snaps into the role of Susie Homemaker and decides she 's just going to make cookies for her kids all the time I'm just making well, cookies cookies but cookies
0: she, she, tries. she Mom tries tries to make cookies she, she's,
1: she's but she doesn't do a, really... a great job no, no, but so the kids are like, we don't recognize that person. okay, go make your cookies and the older uh, the oldest brother, Charlie, he decides he 's going to create a what he calls the lighthouse Memorial Museum which is basically a murder museum because it's all the things from their childhood um, and their life talking about murder victims, honoring murder victims. And um, they're gonna put all of that on display and invite, they live on this island, the whole island to come and see it. And um, the oldest sister, Tate, she is someone, she has a very popular Instagram where she builds these crime scene dioramas Um, specifically of the crimes of the serial killer that terrorized their island for a couple of decades and now has been dormant for a while. And now that they've just learned that their brother was murdered, she's getting to work on creating a crime scene diorama for his murder. Right, oh my God,
0: like Dahlia's like, no. Yeah, Dahlia, the narrator. Andy?
1: Yeah, Dahlia, the narrator, who is Andy, the brother's twin, um, she is understandably freaking out and she is like, that's terrible I don't know why you're doing this she's freaked out by everybody's reactions she doesn't understand why they're doing all these things and so she decides you know I'm gonna step away from them and I'm gonna put all my energy into figuring out what happened to Andy and is was he actually a victim of this serial killer that we had roaming the island or was it somebody else and so that's kind of the setup of where everybody is at the beginning of this book.
0: We have to talk about the setting as a character almost in this book as well so for me first off it's on an island it's on a small island and they live in a great big old rather creepy house actually Mm -hmm. it has like even maybe some secret passages and things that come out so there's this big old house it's called a mansion they don't get on with the rest of the people on the island call it the murder mansion Mm -hmm. for very good reasons they have no friends they're they grow up here as children sort of sequestered in this big old creepy house immersed in crime especially serial killer crime and the house oh the house I love the house it reminded me a little bit of you know like Wuthering Heights Mm and Mr. Rochester's house in Jane Eyre and those you know just a big old it has personality oh great I'm glad you felt that way
1: (laughs) It definitely it felt like um, it felt it felt like a set a set piece for me and that like I was moving the characters around in this almost like playing with them like they were little dolls in a dollhouse and and to me each room each different room would sort of bring out different tensions or different things in the characters they have one room that they call the victim room because it's where they keep all their true crime stories and newspapers and books and things and and drawings
0: uh, and paintings and, right yeah, of the victims paintings like,
1: that the sister did yeah um so so yeah creating the house was fun and creating the secrets that the house has was definitely fun um because who doesn't love like a big house with the the Kind of crazy story,
0: <laughs> right? No kidding. And then you know, there's the, the Islanders. There's the creepy neighbor. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a neighbor girl who I we're not going to get into her too much, but creepy. <laughs> She's been watching them for her whole life, basically. Yeah, and even <laughs> Dahlia's best friend off the island is totally into true crime. Mm-hmm. so um, you know, this this it's veering off course just briefly, but I had this thought right now, so this book is obsessed with true crime. (laughs) And I know it's a thing. We sometimes, the Viking likes to watch the crime channel and we watch all of those true crime shows and the, you know, who did it and how did it happen? And all that, are you, is that something that's been of interest to you in your life or did you just kind of get this idea randomly for this book? Um, No, it's
1: definitely something that I am into. I one of my favorite podcasts is My Favorite Murder, where they talk about a different murder every week. Um, And I love um, In the Dark is another great podcast. Criminal, so I definitely listen to those. I watched the documentaries. It's something that it's just like a dark fascination for me, and I've kind of, I think, realized it within the last ten years or so. And before I found the My Favorite Murder podcast, I would also I would always kind of be like. Oh God, what is wrong with me that like, when I hear about a murder, I'm like, Oh, tell me more instead of like, that's horrible. And obviously it is horrible. And I think that too, but there's also this like very morbid curiosity about it and and wanting to know more. And then, and then I kind of tuned into that podcast and found out, Oh, there's all these people who listen to this, who also feel the same way. And they call themselves murderinos, which just means they're <laughs> so obsessed with true crime. And so I dedicated the book actually to the murderinos. Oh, um, so, yeah, um... <laughs> that's definitely something that's an interest of mine. And so I was able to pull from that in the book. But I wanted to, with the book, take it to an absolute extreme. Oh, and yeah. Use that very extreme disturbing family to look at like, what is it? What is it? Why do we have this kind of cultural obsession with true crime? And what, what draws us to that? What do we get from that? Um, How can that possibly hurt us? So those were all kind of questions that I was grappling with in writing this book.
0: It's totally human nature, don't you think? I mean, you know the the way that the, the rubbernecking thing—we yep. drive past an accident where we all want to see, we don't want to see, but we do what yep. really happened. Um, you know, in the day, people who would go out to how the whole town would go out to observe a hanging. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that sort of thing. We we have that. I don't know where it comes from or why. Yeah. I I don't know why, but. But it's definitely there. I, I even at one point, I love watching things like Criminal Minds. Mm-hmm, me too. Love that show. And for a while, I thought it would be fun to be a forensic psychologist. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to live in that dark place too yeah. much.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. And that's something that I would notice that like, when I would just binge listen to things or binge watch things like you, you become so... Um, you just become kind of untrusting of the world. Like I say this all the time that anytime the doorbell rings, I'm not expecting. So when I don't answer it, because I think it's a murderer and some people are like, that's ridiculous. And some people are like, nope, I know what you mean. I hide in my bathroom. So like it definitely can create that sort of darkness that you need to come out of. A lot of times because (laughs) and, and so that's kind of what I want to do in the book is create this darkness that is so pervasive that they've never been out of it because it's how they grew up
0: right so even when they leave home they can't see the world for what it really is because right. they're so influenced so they discover all kinds of things and secrets when they come home about things they believe that weren't true and you know all those kinds of um fun little moments of discovery yeah um what do you think for you though i mean do you have any idea where this started for you actually stop i i have another question so <laughs> i want to take you way back because i like to look at these things for myself The very first thing that really hit you or impacted you as far as death goes, like for me, I believe it was, I was a small child and I saw ants eating a dead bird. And Mm -hmm. really that was, you know, my first real serious death memory. It totally freaked me out. I still hate ants. And I just realized right this minute, that's probably why Uh I didn't realize that. But (laughs) what about, what about you? Where does that, you know, whole death memory start for you? Can you think of something?
1: Yeah. Um, For me, I think the earliest memory I have of death, I was probably like three or so, I think. And my great-grandmother died. And I remember it was kind of right after Christmas. And I had gotten this, like, little kid safe nail polish for Christmas. And it was this pink, very, like, weird pink color that I can still remember very vividly. And I was painting my nails with it as much as you can when you're three years old. And um, my parents came into the living room where I was. And they told me they were like, Mime has died, or however they said it. I'm sure they didn't say it like that. Um, and I remember the smell of the nail polish so clearly that for a while after that, as a kid, like when I would hear about death or something, like I would kind of have that sense memory of the smell of that nail polish. Um, so, yeah, I think that's definitely the earliest uh, clear memory I have of death.
0: Right. And it really stayed with you. And so, you know, taking that that just something that simple and clean and you know natural one assumes your name wasn't murdered or anything horrible um and then you look at this family you created in this book who know like Dahlia's very first memories are you know back to really discovering that she's named for somebody who was carved up and there were no punches pulled with that at all as far as what happened to these people um that's just you, the psychology that you got to play with in this book. It's just, you know, fascinating. I love writing stories about people around a death. Mm-hmm. I've done a lot of it. My, I, I decided to take a step back. So other people's things, which, by the way, if you're listening, is out September 21st, in case anybody wants to know. I, I took a step away from the beginning with the funeral thing. But I personally had to do all those funeral things because I was exercising my own demons mm-hmm. um and I, I realized that somewhere along the line when my viking said hey do you realize that every one of your books so far it's like starts like basically around a funeral <laughs> so, <laughs> last year's book i put the funeral a little farther in mm-hmm. but the death was still right at the beginning yeah. <laughs> so it's fascinating how how we get you know kind of caught up in these things yeah um and and then people around a funeral a it, it's such that sort of crisis really, really, really makes us focus on where we are in our lives, what we believe. Mm-hmm. Um, it tests families to the max. Either they draw really close together or the boundaries begin to break, yeah. which happens with your family in mm-hmm. in the family plot. Um, so I'm curious what, about, you know, any sort of <clears throat> interesting funeral memories that you have that might have kind of contributed to where you went with this book. Yeah. I mean, I don't have any funeral memories that are like
1: <laughs> this is gonna sound weird, but that are deeply unpleasant other than the natural grief that's well, sure. occurring. Yeah. Um
0: funerals like, have a fun side too. I yeah, mean they like, do. You get to get together if you're not too close to the person, you get together with people. There's yeah. food. There's like know. every funeral I've been to, like all
1: my grandparents, um my aunt who passed away, like, it's sad, it's all of that. Um, but it, it was always like, you know, it, it ran well, it went smooth, there weren't like big fights that erupted. But right. um, one, like, when I think of a funeral memory, what what pops into my head is um, my when my grandfather died, he um, first of all, he had always told us that he would just want a drive through funeral and he didn't want people to like stand around him. And he was like, just have me there and people can drive by. Um, he was a very grumpy man, um, but he loved chocolate so much. And so my parent, my mom and her sister had like tucked a little Hershey bar into his coat pocket, his jacket pocket in in his casket which like is kind of weird because I'm not going to eat it but also <laughs> it was it was sweet so like I, I that's like a really strong funeral memory that i have but um yeah i'm i am really in all of my books except like i have two shelved novels that will probably never be published but that i wrote before my debut got published so everything i've ever written except for behind the red door um, centers around a death of some kind and a funeral and mourning and all of that. And, um, I just like, I'm so interested in the ways that grief cracks us open Mm -hmm. and, um, what it reveals about us and, and the things that we then try to cover up and, and all of that and all, and all the ways we sort of run from grief. And so those are, those are big interests of mine. And so that was, Something else, of course, like the true crime aspect is such a big part of this story, but it's also definitely this story of this grieving family and how everybody is grieving it in different ways and for different reasons Reasons. in a way. I'm I'm going to stop
0: you there I think that that really is the trick with grief is that it's never the same to two people right we we all grieve it for completely different reasons because our relationship with the person was completely different and so Mm -hmm. that's part of what plays out in this book also yeah um and that was that was
1: definitely part of the challenge of writing this book was figuring out where everybody is with that grief with whatever is sort of coming apart in them and what they're trying really hard to keep together. Um, So every like main character in the family has their own little journey to go on um, in this, but it's all kind of from this same epicenter of, they have both their father dying and realizing that their brother was murdered, which, so that's a lot.
0: That is a lot. And and there's more. Yes. There's, <laughs> there's so much more. more. So when we talked earlier, you called the way that you wrote this book going feral. And I, and I love that. Absolutely. <laughs> just so you know, Megan doesn't mean by this, that she stopped brushing her teeth or washing her hair. Although maybe that happened too. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, do you want to explain again to, to our listeners what you meant by going feral? I love this. By the yeah. Way.
1: <laughs> so yeah, that's what I would say. Like when I would just think about what it was like writing this book, I said, I just went feral and, um, and I think, when other writers might hear that they might think oh you mean like you tortured yourself so much by writing this book and like of course there's that because that's always part of it but um it was really that i like i feel like i was without limits in terms of what i was going to put into this book and i just like start once i knew that i was writing this true crime book and it that i was going to talk about murderers and real life murders too that are referenced in the book. I was like, okay, what else am I going to put in that like already fascinates me? I've got this big house. I love creepy old houses. So I'm putting that in the book. I love like a moody, rocky island. I'm putting that in the book. I love miniatures. So I'm putting dioramas in the book. Um, I'm obsessed with, not obsessed with, I'm fascinated by serial killers. There's a serial killer in the book. Um, so I just feel like I pulled everything that is something that interests me and put it in this book and like I just kind of went off the rails and was like it's it's all going in it's all going in and (laughs) it was then like okay now I have to try to make all of this work together um but there was something about it that it was just kind of my gut that all these things belonged in this book um but yeah that's what I feel like I feel like I went feral that I was that I was off the rails. Nobody could control me.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, in a way, okay, so I'm going to take this to a whole nother level. You call it going feral. I really believe when we're writing at our best, we kind of get out of the way. And we start listening, and we yeah. let intuition take over. I actually get little chills when I talk about that, because sometimes yeah. it really feels like that. like there is something outside of me that wants to be written, and if I can just get my own self out of the way long enough, it'll let me know, and then weird and wonderful things happen. Yeah. And so that's that's kind of what happened with this book is
1: Yeah, and I, I think you know that happens every time. Every time that I've written a book, even though I'm such a big plotter and outliner and I plan things to chapter by chapter, scene by scene ahead of time, there are always these things that I did not see coming in terms of how threads come together and how one thing speaks to another thing. And then it's only kind of like through revising that I'll start to see that and be like, oh, there was something at work here that I did not even realize, even with all my notes on the page and all of that. So, right. and that's like such a cool, magical process. Oh,
0: oh, I love when that happens. Okay. So your groundskeeper, Fritz, <laughs> I got it. I got to mention Fritz because he's like, he's so perfect. I just, <laughs> when he came up, I was just like, oh, this is just, I had no idea where it was going and I'm not going to give that away, but I just, so did anything about that surprise you that you can talk about without giving it away? I mean... Did about just, fritz or about did he just turn out to be even more perfect than you expected he was going to be or there actually
1: used to be a um sort of like a companion character to fritz in the original draft there was a miss hansen who was the housekeeper um and i just had them as these kind of like characters who seemed like they could be creepy also seemed like they could just be really kind and and like and you and you couldn't necessarily figure them out but then things go a certain direction and then my editor wisely said when she read the first draft that Miss Hansen was serving no purpose and I'm like I know I just want the creepiness all the time (laughs) I just wanted more and more and more
0: all the creepy all the time yeah oh oh So there was a whole character that went missing. That's interesting. That's all very interesting. Yeah, it was
1: the first time I've actually cut a character from a book. I I know I've heard of other people cutting characters and doing that. But this was the first part where I cut her character. And I also added the character of Greta that you mentioned, the best friend. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's kind of like a citizen detective doing like right. work on these cold cases? She wasn't in my original draft. And then, oh, you totally um, needed
0: her. I, I yeah. totally get that. It's like <laughs> Dahlia needed some sort of anchor to the outside world, like just a little lifeline yep. to reality, even though yep. that reality might be a little also Excuse. twisted. Yeah. <laughs>
1: That's exactly what my editor said that we needed her because, in my mind, originally, she's so you know she doesn't realize even how much but she's messed up from her upbringing and so she doesn't trust anybody she doesn't make relationships with anybody because the only person she ever trusted is her twin brother um but my editor very wisely said like she needs some connection to the outside world not just as like a human but also a sounding board in the book but then I was like okay how can I bring that into this true crime world too what kind of friend would Dahlia make and I was like well she would probably make friends with somebody who was comfortable with that kind of knowledge that she has a sort of encyclopedia type knowledge
0: of true crime right right brilliant choice um so (laughs) the one last thing i do need to talk about a little bit is the the writing in this book which um First off, how many, how many drafts do you, please tell me you don't just write like this, like on a first draft, <laughs> because I'm going to need to come after you.
1: <laughs> I, it's, it's really hard for me to say actually how many drafts I do, because I do so much editing and polishing as I go. Um, I usually like write, well even as I'm writing like a chapter, I'm constantly looking back to at previous paragraphs and tweaking things. And, and then I'll come back to what I wrote the day before and tweak and tweak And, um, and then I do an edit of the chapter before I move on. So it's really Mm -hmm. hard for me to talk about like complete revisions, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. so like complete start to finish revisions, it was probably like three, but really there's so many mini ones that it's impossible
0: to count. (laughs) Right. Because you're polishing all the time and it it really shows and the, the writing is just, um, Everything's there that needs to be there. There's nothing there that doesn't need to be there. And it's flawless in the sense that there's never a misplaced word that's jolting me out of the reading reader's dream you know what i mean by that um (laughs) often when we're reading even books that i love very much i'll hit a phrase or something that just doesn't sit quite right Mm -hmm. and i know they're all in my books and i keep trying to weed them out but they're always there um you've done a a really very brilliant and polished job of not having those thank you (laughs) that means so much to me
1: but also (laughs) i think now that you're saying that like I think part of that might come from the fact that I always have to cut a lot of words. Mm-hmm. And so I end up uh, the way I end up cutting words, even if I have like, like one time I had to, for a book that didn't end up published, but I had to cut 35,000 words cause it was 135,000. And my, my agent said we need to get this under a hundred thousand. And I was like okay that's like a quarter of the book but but the way I ended up doing it was really like mostly just nips and tucks nips and tucks nips and tucks how can I get this sentence down by three words and so I I do a lot of that like getting it down as small as I can and so Mm -hmm. I'm glad to hear you feel like there's not a word wasted because then that means there's not a word I should have kept cutting. But (laughs) (laughs) yeah, yeah, I think that's part of my process too, is I kind of always overwrite to begin with, and then I have to pull back and pull back and pull back. Right.
0: Well, it's a nice mix of lyrical, um, creative writing and something that's tight and true crimey sort of in a way. So yeah, it's just, it's anyway, it works. It fits the Thank book. You. So the whole thing was beautiful book And this book. Um, If you're coming in late, we are talking about The Family Plot by Megan Collins. This book is doing really well. It's getting some lovely attention. I got an email yesterday. I'm on um, Reese's email list, and there was Megan's book on a recommendation right up front, which is really awesome. It's an editor's pick on Amazon. Um, If you are a women's fiction reader and you don't mind things that are a little bit on the creepy side, you should still try this book because it does all those family dynamics that you really love to read and if you are somebody who's totally into the thrillers and the mysteries just know there is a really good mystery there is definitely the thriller aspect but it's also I would think of it kind of psychological suspense is what I would want to call it probably if I had to put it in a box
1: yeah that sounds right I mean (laughs) (laughs) it's so it's so hard because those lines always blur these days. Like we call so many things thrillers that aren't really thrillers now, I think. Right. Um, But I feel like psychological suspense is
0: definitely where it's most comfortable. Kind of where it fits. It it has multiple elements and I, mm-hmm. I like that very much. So we have uh Nancy says enjoying listening to this chat while I garden. Megan, your book <laughs> sounds fantastic. It is Nancy. Thank you. And enjoy your gardening also. <laughs> so Megan, thanks so much for being here and talking to me again today. Um let's talk about where people can find you. So I know you have a website and I can't remember what it is. So please yes. tell
1: us. Um, my website's MeganCollins.com. I'm on Instagram at MeganCollins i'm on twitter i'm megan collins and on facebook you can just look me up megan collins um it's also if you do at megan collins writer that's what it is too it'll show i'm all over the place
0: if if you're (laughs) listening and can't see her name on the screen it's um megan m-e-g-a-n collins c-o-l-l-i-n S, the book we're talking about today is *The Family Plot*. Absolutely gorgeous cover, by the way. I we were going to talk about this cover. We're kind of I'm going to take time to do this just really quick because I actually made a little so I can show you. So Megan and I love the colors in this book. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and you'll see it's a, there's a little miniature house here under glass, um, which just. Fits so beautifully with the, the whole plot of the book and the, mm-hmm. you know, the way that the house is a little character and it holds all these secrets. So it's just a very cool, very cool cover. Excellent title. Uh, excellent book. So thank you. <laughs> have a look at the family plot. Megan has other books as well. The Red Door is fantastic. And then the, the one before that was the, ice the Winter queen. Sister. The Winter Sister. So, If you read this one, you're going to want to look at the others because Megan has a lovely, creepy way with uh, psychology and and characters. But you see, (laughs) as you see, she's just a very nice person. So we hope. (laughs) I try. (laughs) Behind that, you know, sweet face, there may be a little darkness. There's some darkness that I get out on the page and then. And then I can be light in life. (laughs) There you go. That's perfect. Hey, you know, I got to pop this in here real quick because your characters do that. Um, In the book, both the sister who makes the dioramas um, mentions that this is the only way she can deal with um what's gone on in her life and Charlie the brother who is turning their whole house into a museum display and inviting in the neighbors to basically gawk um that's how he deals so you know they're all trying to find a way to deal with the darkness inside as we all do in one way or another and Lorraine is baking cookies and Lorraine (laughs) is baking
1: cookies and some of us bake when we're upset
0: (laughs) that's true or clean yeah we all have our thing Mm -hmm. (laughs) so um, that is it for us today oh look john's here john says sounds great just got it on kindle Um, (laughs) (laughs) hi john always good to see you you are gonna love this book i know thanks again megan it's always a delight to talk to you hopefully maybe next year with the next book we can have you back again thank you so much it's so fun to talk to you um, the rest of you, um, I am actually taking a little bit of time off because uh, Other People's Things is coming out on the 21st and I'm on deadline with probably yours, and my life has gotten a little um, unwieldy. <laughs> so I'm cutting back on the podcasts. I will be online plenty doing other things, though, talking about my own book. So hopefully I'll see you there. Thanks again, Megan. Take care. Thank you so much. All right. You're welcome. Bye bye.